Good morning uh, or afternoon. I don't know why I always say morning because it's morning here where we are, but however you are tuning in with us and wherever you are joining from, whatever time zone you're in, we're glad you're here. Um, as we continue on with this uh, podcast, the idea uh, that Michael and I are trying to go through some things that you can use to be better um, as a Christian at work, in the workplace, um, and, and some things maybe that you deal with, that you struggle with, and we're here to try to help you, you know, navigate through those. As we've said before, we're, we're by no means experts in this. We're just a couple of guys that have been trying to do it for a while, and uh, we're, we're hoping to help you get there. So with that in mind, uh, how's everything in beautiful Somerset this morning, Michael? It is great, my friend. I just think it's super cute that you assume there's people in other time zones that are listening to us. I, just, <laughs> I think that is extremely ambitious. I, I, I'm optimistic that that may be the case at some point. I'm not convinced it's true today, but it is morning as we record. It's a beautiful morning, and uh, God is good, my friend. Absolutely. There's uh, uh, surely like one of our parents are traveling and going like, west maybe that's the other time zone i don't know um or uh maybe somebody's catching this at night but either way um we're glad it's you're here still the same time zone <laughs> uh we're, we're glad you're here with you. at night <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not sure apparently the ramifications of time zone versus <laughs> the time of day but that's uh, either here or there that's not going to help you in business not going to help you when you clock in uh this morning and uh, as we've taken our tour of corporate um, so far, uh, Michael, throw up our uh, our slide here. Happy to do it. Just a moment. All right. So as we've taken our tour around corporate, and that, that's really our plan here. So we've talked about this before, that, that our plan is to tour the corporate campus. And we started last week uh, in the sales department. And, and really we're modeling this after Colossians chapter three, 23 and 24, that, that whatever you are doing, work at it with enthusiasm as to the Lord and not for people, because you know that you will receive your inheritance from the Lord as the reward and serve the Lord Christ. That the, the basis of all we're doing is you may report to a mid-level manager. You may even report to the CEO or the board of directors, but ultimately we all report to God. And the job that we do and the job that we're responsible for is to God. So, you know, if you're, you know, the, the janitor at XYZ Corporation, then you do that job to the best of your ability because God ultimately is who's watching what you're doing and you're reporting to him. In the same way, if you're in the sales department um, that we spent some time in last week or today, we go around the corner from the sales department and we knock on the door of the accounting department. And so the accounting department at, at most corporations, that's, that's the job of, of keeping the books. Uh, so Michael, that's probably, we've got Michael Ray, uh, who spent his career in the accounting department. Uh, and, you know, as, as we look at that, that idea, Michael, I'm going to ask some questions this morning. Tell me first and foremost, why do we need an accounting department? And does you know, is that a biblical, scriptural, ethical, good idea thing to do? Do we, do we even need the division that you're in? <laughs> well, you know, from a purely selfish economic perspective, I hope that we do. Um, <laughs> but, but, but I also think just as we talked about it and preparing for this a little bit, you know, from, from a, from a bi biblical perspective, I, I think that this, this is a, 
I'm not going to say a biblical mandate, but but a biblical principle. Um, and from from verses like Proverbs 27, 23, know well the condition of your flocks. Um, we we use that verse when we were going over you know individual household budgeting to talk about you know this is this is part of our this is part of our spiritual life that we need to know the condition of our flocks. Um, that, that if we are going to be a good steward of the things that God has blessed us with, um, we need to know the condition of our personal flocks and herds. And, and I think that this is just, in, in a lot of ways, the, when we talk about the accounting department, it, it's just the, the business principle of that, of that mandate, you know, that, that individual directive, in that you know, we're still to know the, the condition of our flocks. And, the, and, and here we're supposed to you know, know it from a business perspective. And that I think kind of speaks, Mike, to you know something that we haven't talked about, but but you know I, th- I think we may talk about um, in in the course of today's conversation, and that is it it is not as if the the principles of stewardship that we talked about from an indiv- individual perspective don't apply uh, to to the business perspective, um, and and I think uh, there there may be times that that we try to make a distinction there that that is unfair is. You know, we can we can accept the, um, the the thought that the money in my bank account is God's, and I'm a steward over that money. Um, he has blessed me with it, and I'm a steward over those things. And on the individual level, I can accept that. But somehow, the 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 money that is in the business bank account, um, it doesn't. It, it, perhaps we don't feel the same way about. You know that that is that is shareholder money, right? That that's we're we're. we're we're a steward of the shareholder, perhaps, if we work for a corporation, or we're a steward of the business owner. Um, but if we if we get any biblical, you know, background to us at all, we got we got to feel the same way about those funds. Is so we're we're stewards of those those God's funds there also. That's you know the cattle on a thousand hills are His the money in that bank account is His also. And so um, I think it kind of goes back to that realization that this is all God's stuff. Whether it's in my account or the business account, it's all God's stuff. Um, and, and all departments have a rec- you know, responsibility after they have that recognition to be good stewards of God's stuff. Um, but because we're talking about the, the kind of the accounting department today, that, that is kind of specifically a role of an accounting department. Know the condition of your herds. And are we as a business being good stewards of God's stuff? Um, so... And as, as you look at that, the accounting, you know, and, and, and we use that root word and, and the word accountability too, right? It's, it's the same idea that, you know, the accounting department typically is, is who is holding really the corporation accountable on a, you know, debits and credit scenario, right? That, that you know, look, boys, we're spending X dollars and we're only bringing in Y. So, you know, either we're making money or we're in trouble. Um, and, and when we talk about that, you know, there, there's a lot of, of those questions that come back, you know, from a, you know, let's start with a pricing model, you know, so if, you know, XYZ Corporation that you work for, Michael, is, is making a widget and that widget costs, you know, a dollar to make, what, what's the appropriate number from the accounting department? You know, is, is it appropriate to sell it for $2? Is it appropriate to sell it for 5 At what point is you know, gouging or taking advantage of people or, you know, uh, I think, and I agree with you because I think in this um, situation, what, what we have here is, you know, 
personally, we would do certain things, but when we get behind that corporate wall, we feel like, well, you know, I'll do anything. Um, you know, there, there's, there's nothing that's, you know, kind of off limits. It's, you know, law of supply and demand. We hide behind capitalism. We hide behind a lot of things, but, but how do we, you know, if, if we're ultimately reporting to God, we're ultimately accountable to God. How, how do we, you know, how do we look at a pricing framework and, and, and what are things that, that are important to consider there? Well, I'm not going to try to hide behind capitalism, but, but I will say that the market does dictate some parameters there, right? Um, in, in, in the vast majority of cases, just, just as a prudential question, the, the, the market dictates what, what is uh, the kind of the, the bounds on most goods and services. So um, in, in my industry that, that we currently work in and, and for years, there, there are certain prices that it wouldn't matter how, if we were trying to gouge, we would not be successful in doing it. I mean, we, would, we, we wouldn't have any revenue. Uh, at, at the same time, there's, there's margins at, at which the business cannot survive. And so there's, there's kind of upper and lower limits that, again, just as a, uh, as a practical question uh, that, that, are, that are put on our business. However, there are, if we're being honest with ourselves, there are instances where um, perhaps because it is a unique product or a unique customer uh, or just a unique situation where the, the normal laws of uh, supply and demand and the normal laws of market pricing don't necessarily apply or don't apply strongly. And in those instances, I think that's when we do have to have some biblical uh, principles. You know, if, if, there is a, if there's a scarcity issue, you happen to be, you know, it's an economic concept, right? So if you, if you happen to be the one that's, that's holding some goods and, and there's a scarcity of those goods, uh, how are you going to, how are you going to manage selling the, what you have of scarcity? And it would be understanding, understandable that the price would go up some. Um, but are we, at what point does that pricing become uh, exorbitant? At what, at, what, at what point does it become ex exploitative? Um, maybe it is a, it is a specific customer that's not price sensitive. Uh, how far are you going to push that envelope? Maybe, maybe you have a unique new product um, that there, there's really not a market for. How far are you going to push that envelope um, from a pricing perspective? And and I, I, you know, I think obviously there's not a biblical directive on that. I mean, God hasn't given us a, a strict biblical directive on how much, what percentage of giving he's expected of individuals. I certainly don't think that he's given us a, a specific percentage directive on, on what our markup needs to be on a, on, a, on a good or service. But I do think it's something we need to be praying about and need to be thinking about. Um, and I, and I, I, we, we have said this a lot over the course of our studies. There's a lot of these questions that, that I don't think that we are going to find a, a biblical percentage that we get to. Uh, just know that we pencil that in and, and sleep well at night, that, that these are things we're, we're intended to struggle with. We're, we're supposed to wrestle with that a little bit, I believe. Um, I hope we are wrestling with that if we're Christians, uh, because I, I think if we're battling with these questions, that's actually a good sign uh, we, that, we, that we care about getting the answer right. And I think we need to talk to our, to our brothers and sisters about it. Um, those that kind of share our same, like what we're doing today, uh, if, if, and, and, you know, if, if you have other brothers and sisters that are in kind of similar worlds or, or work in similar, you know, parts of, of, of industry, I think it's completely reasonable to have those conversations. Um, because 
I, I just would expect that, that God wants us to handle those and be a good steward of, of his things and understand that the person on the other side of the transaction has a soul and is a steward of his things also. And, and that should make us at least think about those questions. That's not a formula. That's not a, that's not a prescription. Uh, but, but I do think it, it should make us think. Yeah. There, there's, there's always two, when I think about, you know, concepts that we just talked about, there, there, there's two biblical situations that um, I, I think apply to that, right? There's, there's uh, Joseph and Pharaoh's household in the family, right? You know, uh, and nobody else had food, but because of Joseph and the dreams, they had an excess for seven years. And they kept that back and they were able to not only provide for their own, but people came from all around because that was the only, only game in town. And the size of Egypt doubled, right? You know, the Pharaoh's lands grew and Egypt became a world power out of, you know, essentially that business model. Okay, so, so in some ways, you know, we've got scarcity. And if you're the only game in town, they started taking money and then they kept taking land. You didn't have any money, give us your land, sign it over and, and we'll grow. And, and I think that's one way we see where, you know, if you're the only game in town, you're still providing um, but it's, it's coming at maybe a, a very high cost. Second to that though, um, and, and the one that I'm sure probably gives Michael the most heartburn is the, uh, dishonest servant, right? The, the parable of dishonest servant that, you know, the master's going to fire him and he comes back and cooks the books, you know, he calls all the vendors and says, you know, what do I owe? What was my master owe? Does he owe, you know, a hundred? All right, write down 80. Let's, let's change these books. Let's, let's, let's fix that. Um, so that these people then would take care of him on his way out, um, which is probably also why when we fire people today, we take their keys and they don't, we don't let them talk to vendors anymore. You know, you go in with HR and you kick them out immediately. But um, in, in that vein, in that regard, especially with, with the, you know, dishonest manager, dishonest servant, or however that's titled in, in your scriptures, that, that brings my, my next question to this is, you know, and maybe not to that degree, but is there a time, is there a, um, a place, is there a reason why a corporation would keep two sets of said books um, like the dishonest manager did? You know, one that's according to, and listen, folks, we, we do not want to bore you with generally accepted accounting principles or EBITDA or, or those things. So we probably will refer to those in passing, uh, but you know, Michael, what, what about gap versus non-gap versus just flat writing stuff down that, uh, to take care of the guy that's handling the books? How, how, do you, how do you handle that in the accounting department? So I want to, I want to back up one step from that question because I think that is, is, is an important question, but I think it, it kind of just touches on a principle that, that applies specifically in the accounting department. And, and again, that is there's not a prescription for a lot of this, but there's a lot of heart checking and has a lot to do with intent. Um, is there an intent to deceive? Is there an intent to uh, present something that is, you know, less than uh, transparent? And and again, the purpose of accounting, know the condition of your flocks. You know, writ large, the the whole purpose of the department is this is this is the grade card of the business, right? This is the condition of the flocks. Mm -hmm. This is the annual report. This is the quarterly financial statement. This is the tax return. This is the, this is the report on the flocks. 
at XYZ Corporation, this is this is this is what we look like. And it's and in the course of doing that, the dirty little secret is there are a significant number of estimates and you know educated guesses that that happen in the course of presenting a condition of the flocks. And and so with all of those, with all those estimates, with all of those, you know, accruals and allowances and estimates, there, there is, there's a gray area. <laughs> there just is. That, that's a, just a part of life in every department, specifically in accounting, there's gray area. And there, there has to be, um, they have to be able to substantiate those, those estimates, but there's estimates. And, and so to think that it's all black and white, I mean, life don't happen that way. And so there's gray area. And so with all of those, the question is, what's the intent? And I think we'll talk more about intent as we go along. So to answer your question more specifically, every business of, of size, let me say that, of size, a specific, you know, especially your, you know, if, you, if you work for a publicly traded company or a company of that size, and even companies much smaller, but, but companies of size all have multiple sets of books. <laughs> that, that is not a... That is not a fraudulent, a deceptive, an underhanded tactic of any way. It is a very practical, it's a prudential question. It's a practical way to approach things. Why is that? <clears throat> well, it's because, let's talk in the U.S., in, in all its infinite wisdom, the United States government and, and, and uh, tax law has determined that the law for what goes on the tax return is different than the law for what goes on the financial statement that's reported to shareholders. That, those, those are legal differences. That, that's, not, that's not a practical, is this better to present this one way on tax and one way um, to the shareholders? That's they're legally obligated to present it differently. And so, yes, you know, if, if companies are handling their business correctly, again, companies of a certain size, they're mandated to do what you're talking about. And, and for the, for the, the non- <laughs> the non-accounting average person that sounds underhanded and deceptive. Oh, they're, they're keeping, they're keeping separate books. Uh, they, these, it's like the dishonest manager here. We've got, we've got the real set and then we've got the set that we're, you know, we're, we're planning evil plots in a, in a back room layer somewhere. But, but the reality is, again, that's, that's a legal mandate that there are certain things that you have to do on a tax return that you can't do or, or that you are forced to do a different way when you're presenting things to shareholders. And so uh, I, I, I say all that to say, yes, keeping two sets of books is a perfectly normal state of business, at least in the U.S. and, and in most countries that I'm aware of because, of because of that difference. And there's reasons to keep even sets beyond that. State tax sometimes have different law than federal tax, and those all matter to accountants, and you have to keep separate records for all of those things. Again, the, the, the point goes back to intent. Is there a way to keep multiple sets of books to be deceptive, deceptive and not transparent and to cheat someone? Absolutely. Um, and so if, if that is the intent, if there's intent to be fraudulent, if there's an intent to be deceptive, well, clearly that is, that's, that's clearly wrong. Uh, but if the intent is to do things legally and ethically, and that requires multiple sets, Yes, that, that, that's, that's, a, that's a fact of life for a CPA in the 20th century United States. So, so Michael, let, let, let me kind of try to fine tune that a little bit then. So if you How dare are, you? <laughs> <laughs> you 
say that to Antonio. If you are XYZ accountant or, you know, if, if you're Joe accountant um, who's a Christian and, you know, you get thrown into the corporate world and, and you got to face this, um, hey, here's, here's our books for the um, – for, for that 8K and the 10Q, and here's our books for the tax return. And you got heartburn about that. And you say, you know, listen, I, I don't feel comfortable. There should be one set of books. This should be black and white. What, what do you say to Joe that, that, that's just starting out? And how do, you, how do you help him, you know, him or her r- wrestle with this idea of, you know, this doesn't, it doesn't feel right? I, I, would, I would just step back and say just, Let's remember again what the what the role of our department and what the role of these books are, and as as long as as long as Joe or Joanne can have a a um, forthright and upfront conversation with their you know with their accounting manager, the controller, the CFO, whoever manages that part of the business in their in their in their business, as long as they can have an honest conversation and say, "Help me understand why we're keeping separate records here." And if the answer is, answer is very forthright, and said, "Hey, for for legal purposes, we have to." I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna get wonky here. For legal purposes, we have to depreciate this asset this way for tax purposes, but we have to depreciate this asset this way for financial reporting purposes. And and again, the average the average layperson who who doesn't have to deal with it every day may not fully understand that that is a reality. But that that's that's law. That's not a that's not a corporate choice. That is not a corporate decision. That's not trying to deceive. That's that's legally what is required for those for those two purposes. Which, which you know, again, ask the question: Why are we doing this? Well, because the accounting part of our business has multiple responsibilities. We have the responsibility to report to shareholders in an annual report in a financial statement, but we also have the responsibility to report to the U.S. government about the state of our business and what we owe from a tax perspective. Those are similar responsibilities. They involve a lot of the same numbers, but the, the laws that govern those are different. And so it's our responsibility to do this. Again, not a choice, not an option, not a lack of transparency. It's our responsibility if we're doing this correctly to do it this way. And, and again, I, I hope that I didn't mean for that to get deep in the weeds, but, but the point is sometimes knowing the condition of our flocks in, in the 20th century is a little more complicated because there are multiple responsibilities. And is, if, if you can have an honest, uh, forthright conversation with, with the, the financial managers of your business and say, explain to me why we keep these separate books. And if the answer is to, to handle our business with integrity and to, to meet our responsibilities, that's a great answer. If the answer is to lower our tax burden or to present higher earnings per share to our shareholders, then, then there should be a moral dilemma. <laughs> there should be an ethical dilemma because it goes back to intent. And I think we would agree that's not a lawful intent. Right, and, and, and um, I don't wanna send Michael further down this path, but uh, for, for those of you that missed it, uh, go back um, to our, our previous discussion on tax avoidance um, versus tax evasion. It is perfectly okay <laughs> to avoid taxes. It's a good thing for a corporation to do. If you're evading taxes, that, that's where you go to prison. So 
Uh, Michael did a good job in our, our last series on that and it applies to businesses too. I think, you know, sometimes when we have these conversations, it's, you know, it, it may sound that way that, it, you know, hey, this is tax evasion. And it may just be tax avoidance. Look, we're, we're taking, you know, there are, and, and especially with some of the recent tax law changes, you know, you can take depreciation faster in certain cir circumstances, but that may not be what's best for the business. You know, the government says, hey, you can take this over 12 months and we still think it's best for us to take it over three years. So, you know, there's those nuances where it's an art. And I think for lay people um, that are not doing it every day, you may think, you know, well, no, this is just black and white. It should only be one way. I mean, it's math, right? But it's, there's nuances to it. So thank, thank you for that. And, and it, I think it, that the evasion versus avoidance question is a very important one. Um, and, and just remember that, again, the, the U.S. government has incentivized businesses and individuals to do certain things. You know, if, if businesses buy equipment, they're able to, to your point, take certain deductions. If they, you know, if individuals give to charitable organizations, they're allowed to take certain deductions. So those are, those are just examples. There's, there's literally thousands of those things, but there's, there's examples of, of where if, you know, businesses and individuals are incentivized to make certain choices to avoid um, certain taxes that, which again is a perfectly legal and, and reasonable thing to do if done within the right framework. Again, what's the intent? Um, if the intent is to keep this separate set of books so we're hiding things and evading taxes, uh, that you go to big boy jail. Yeah. I mean, I do think they serve uh, tea and you get to play tennis there because it's the white collar crimes, right? It's, it's not, not San Quentin. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it's, it's unpleasant. I, I don't, I, I, listen, I, I don't want to, don't want to get into the alone. nuances. Yeah, let's leave that one yeah, alone. <laughs> so, all right, that, that, this takes me to another question on, on the same path. While, while we're talking with, you know, um, deductions and uh, books and records and whatnot, something that we concentrated a lot on in our last conversation was uh, on debt. And as an individual, you know, debt, uh, not that debt is, is bad, but, you know, you want to, uh, you know, reduce your debt as quickly as possible and not owe a bunch because it hamstrings you from being able to do good. Now, Michael, in the corporate world, uh, debt is viewed differently. Um, and, you know, at, how, so how do you in the accounting department reconcile personally at home, at the house, I don't want any debt, but depending on what corporation you work for, they may love debt. So how do you how, how do you put those two together? And is it reasonable? Is it um, ethical? Is it moral uh, to have, you know, massive debt loads in a corporation? So, so I'm, I'm going to try to answer this in stages. St stage one, I'm going to give you the biblical answer. And stage two, I'm going to give you, give you the, the Michael's opinion. And um, so as, as we talked about in, in we're, we're talking about personal finance, there is a danger in debt. Um, yeah, thank you for the most obvious comment of the day. There, there's a, there's a danger in debt and, you know, the, the borrower slave to the lender. Um, we're all familiar with those, with those, with those verses that we should be careful with that. And at the same time, you know, the vast majority of, you know, Christians have a mortgage, um, or, or had a mortgage at some point. And so we, we understand that. Um, there is a there there is a use of debt 
but we need to be very we need to be very careful with it. I, so that that's that's a biblical that's a biblical framework there. I will give you my opinion that I don't know why those rules are are different when all of a sudden we collectively take debt rather than individually take debt, and that's really all we're doing. And so if if you and me and 35 of our closest friends form a corporation and we collectively take debt or whether we do it as shareholders of Nike, essentially all that we've decided to do is rather than take that debt individually, we're going to take it collectively. I mean, that's a gross oversimplification, but that's essentially what we've done. And I think we, we, we touch on this topic that we talked about earlier is that for some reason, uh, we, 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 we have different, uh, our, our moral compass gets, gets pinged more as an individual than it does as a, in a than it does in a business as, and, and we, there are, there are different thresholds for what make us uncomfortable. Um, I, I would, I will tell you that I'm, I, th I think part of the, the lack of godliness in, in corporate finance is this insatiable appetite for debt that yes i can show you i can i can do the math i mean i i can i understand the benefits of leverage in a in a growing you know profitable business i can i understand how that can amplify the profitability and the return on assets i, I can do the math but i also know that it, it it is putting some of god's money at risk still god's money and, it, and it's putting it at risk and and so is there a is there a lawful and a reasonable uh, reason for a business uh, again if we get together with our friends is there a reason for us as a business to take on debt absolutely um if if we're going to um you know purchase a new piece of equipment or we're going to build a new building um if we're going to if we're going to do that so that we can uh, employ employ more people and and have a a a god glorifying opportunity for people to go to work i think those are very reasonable things to do if this is a purely a leverage uh, what is the most amount of debt that we can pile into this corporation so that we can maximize our return on assets and run as as tight to our debt covenants as we possibly can. Uh, personally, I've got a problem with that. Uh, again, there, there has to be a different legal standard than a moral standard. There, that, that, that I, I, we can have the conversation about what's legal, but more, more morally from God's standard, God's handling being a steward, there, there has to be a different standard. So is there a difference? Because again, we see this all the time as a, as a Christian, as an individual, you know, I don't think there's anybody that's really comfortable with the idea of bankruptcy. You know, they just, you do everything other than, than take bankruptcy. But in a lot of corporations, it's just part of the strategy, <laughs> you know, that, Hey, at this point, we're going to load this, entity we're gonna load this you know subsection of our company up with all the debt and 
they're going to take bankruptcy to save the rest of the company. And that's just part of a, you know, prudent business strategy. So help us reconcile and, and, and help, help us, you know, get a better understanding of, you know, in that idea, is there a, is there a line? Is there a time? Is there a framework where, you know, that's okay. That's just corporate. That's just business versus we should feel completely uncomfortable about it. You know, I think we've said before, anytime that you find yourself saying the phrase, it's just business and this doesn't have any spiritual impact, you know, red flags and flares should, should be, you know, should be mayday, mayday, danger Will Robinson. That, that's, that's a problem. I'm going to, there, there's a couple of points that kind of touch on that and, and maybe contradictory. I'm pretty good at that. Um, number one, you know, I don't there's no, there's no biblical spiritual reason why different rules should apply. Um, I, I don't, I find no biblical precedent for if we do this collectively, this is not God's money. But if we do this individually, it is God's money. That, that doesn't, that doesn't wash. Secondly, from a legal perspective, in many cases, bankruptcy as a corporation, as a business, has less personal implication. And so it is, again, as a practical matter, as a legal matter, it's, it's easier to stomach, perhaps. And, and I think maybe because of that, the world has gotten way too, way too comfortable with business, even Christians, perhaps, way too comfortable with business bankruptcy. Um, that, that this doesn't, this doesn't have the same kind of personal implications to my life and to my bank account and to my personal assets. They're not repossessing my truck. This, these don't have the same personal uh, repercussions. So it must not be as bad um, as, as if I were to do this personally. I, I think that is illogical thinking as well. Again, the legal, whatever the legal ramifications are, doesn't change the spiritual obligation. Um, so, even if it's less, if it, if it is less um, destructive to me personally, if, if I'm part of a business that takes bankruptcy, again, that, in my mind, I don't know how that changes the spiritual reaction to it. So those, those on, on that side. On the other hand, <clears throat> I would probably answer this question differently now than I did five years ago. And I don't know if I've gotten smarter or dumber. You can tell me I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy to softer. go either. I'm sorry. Softer for sure. <laughs> You're happy. You have to be to answer that question after I say this. There, there was probably a time um, that, that I would have said that any bankruptcy is a abdication of spiritual principles and cannot be acceptable on any grounds and um, that you're a filthy sinner and um, th th this, this is just an unholy practice. And, and, and I probably would have softened that a little bit, but that might've been what I was thinking. <laughs> I would tell you today that, and, I, and again, may, maybe I'm going straight here. Just, just telling you where I'm at is I've seen too many instances of genuine Christians in, in circumstances 
that were literally beyond their control and who, who made every effort to renegotiate, restructure, and the lender was unwilling and made every genuine effort to uh, make it right and weren't able. And as a, a, a prayerful, tearful last resort took that option. And, and, and I have a hard time condemning that. Um, and again, I think it goes back to intent. And so, man, I wish these questions were easier. Uh, they're, they're often are not. So can, can we blanket condemn that in every case? I'm not willing to do that. But should the same rules apply? Absolutely. Yeah, that one of the things that uh, hopefully we all learn as we get older, as we mature is um, nothing's ever as black and white as it is in a classroom. You know, in, in life, things are, are nuanced, things are difficult. Um, and, and I'm more and more, more and more convinced, the more and more I read scripture, that uh, why we do what we do is as important as what we do, um, you know, or, or maybe even more important. Um, God seems to circle back to intent an awful lot in the scriptures of, of why you're making decisions. So let's... Let me, you know, press this debt question. I, I know we've hammered debt a lot this morning, but let me press this debt question. Um, and, and, and I'll ask it in a, in a fun way. So when you are in the accounting department, there's the, the AP, but there's also the AR. And so when you're looking at the AR, uh, should there ever be a year of Jubilee or should there ever be um, an opportunity where uh, the debt collection practices are softened or, you know, no, we got a contract, we got an agreement, UON, and we're going to come get our lettuce. Uh, how do you, how do you deal with the AR? Um, and, and especially when people, you know, oh, for goods or services, and it's, there's a cost to the business and, you know, I, there's a lot to balance there. So, so how, how do you wrap your mind around AR? It's that that is a really difficult topic in my mind, um, and one that I struggle with. I, and I apologize for the dog hey, there. Hey, Charlie. <laughs> um, I think there is a there's a there is a natural tension between grace and accountability, and I think that that is one, not the only, but that's one of the places. I think we'll talk about this more in HR. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think this is one of the places where that natural tension. Um, presents itself in um, how much how much grace is is reasonable for the person that, that owes because we know from the perspective of if we're on the perspective of the borrower we know spiritually what our obligations are and so we we from the lender we, we want the bar we want the borrower we want the person that owes us money to to, to have that attitude, right? We want them, we want them to have that same spiritual uh, responsibility to repay. <clears throat> On the other hand, we we also know that uh, grace and forgiveness is is part of part of our spiritual lives, and should that be part of our business lives? Uh, obviously, if if we have grace and forgiveness toward everybody on the uh, AR ledger, we're out of business. You're in bankruptcy. Correct. So we're back to that question. 
So obviously that, that that's where this tension is created. Couple couple of couple of biblical thoughts and a couple of just practical thoughts. Number one, the the, the Bible expects the borrower to pay, but there's also a biblical example of um, the lender showing grace to, to especially the poor um, and not crushing the poor. Um, first of all, not charging exorbitant interest, but also there's a biblical example of forgiving the debt, uh, especially toward the poor. I about, apologize for that uh, little glitch there. Um, so I think where we got cut off, there is a, there's a, there's a, there is some biblical precedent for, for not crushing the poor, for, for having some grace to the poor. Uh, I would also say like De verses like Deuteronomy 24 and verse 10, that even, even when you are going to collect a pledge um, in that verse, which is not, not too dissimilar from collecting AR, um, that you're not to enter a person's house or to mistreat them in collecting a pledge. So I think there's some, some biblical precedent there for there are some limits to what we are expected to, to do in strong, strong arming someone, you know, in, into, into pain. Um, I, I wish, I wish there were a simple answer here. I, I'll tell you from a, from a practical perspective that I think the Christian has some responsibility if the borrower is at least communicating is at least being forthright and honest and saying, here's the situation I found myself in. Here's the reason that I can't pay this on schedule. Here is, here is, here are the issues that I'm facing. Here's the plan that I have. Here's how I'm going to attack this. I can't imagine that a, a Christian lender, whether we're talking about um, regular business, you know, product terms, whether we're talking about bank financing, whatever we're talking about, I can't imagine a Christian business person saying, no, that is not acceptable. I have this contract. I'm, I'm foreclosing today. That, that, that to me appears to be a lack of grace. So, so I, I think too, you know, from a, again, practically speaking, um, and, and I can talk a little bit more from the, the finance bank side. Um, it also depends on the size of the corporation, right? You know, if you are a, massive publicly traded money center bank the debt collection procedures are what they are and, and and you don't have a lot of wiggle room as the lender as the debt collector as the account manager um and, and it's because of you know that there are rules that are written that say we have to treat everybody exactly the same and you know if you miss x number of payments and y number of time you know there's a written procedure and, and i think that that gets difficult for christians if you are the you know, loan officer and the company says, look, we have to follow this because of, you know, discrimination laws and whatnot. We can't give one person grace and not another. And, and all this, I think it puts you in a very difficult spot. However, you know, if you're at a, you know, a small company, you're a family business or, you know, the analogy Michael used, you know, if, if it's you and 10 friends that, that start up, that that's very different. You're not as, regulated and, and, and you can make some different decisions. So I think if, if I'm coaching you as the lender that has some heartburn with this, you know, I, I can agree with you personally, but also understand that in the confines of the regulatory environment that we're in and the fact that, you know, if, if you, you know, if you're operating in, you know, Danville, Kentucky's loan officer, 
and you decide to forgive debt on somebody or give them more time and somebody in you know Minneapolis that worked for the same company doesn't, then you've opened up your company for lawsuits. That's, that's a tough pill to swallow. It's difficult. Um, but, but I think that there's another point here too that, that, that's important is, is Michael, what's the responsibility on the front end? So, you know, when you're deciding to extend credit, is there a responsibility for the lender, for the loan officer, for the account manager at, 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 uh, at your company before you ever extend the credit? You know, are, are, do we have a, a responsibility to look out for that person, even if they won't look out for themselves? Yeah, well, well said. And, you know, again, I, I think that would be a very sound biblical principle, right? That we're, we are not just haphazardly um, extending credit terms to, to any, anyone who um, wants to buy things from us, that there has to be some, some vetting, right? There has to be some, some uh, background checks and normal credit, you know, kind of procedures. Um, and again, those, those, it gets into you know other hard questions. Do you, do you turn down someone for credit? Uh, what if what if that person is a brother? <laughs> and then how do you how do you handle that conversation? But you know if again the, the biblical principle of of love. If I'm really if I'm really loving my brother here, if I'm loving my neighbor um, in a true agape sense, looking out for their best interests, I, I'm I'm not gonna let them do that. And that 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 may involve a hard conversation. But if I, if I am truly um, loving them in a way that doing what's in their best interest, um, uh, sometimes you gotta make that decision. Right, and I think that's, that, that is as important, right? That, that there may be a situation where it's better for me to let you glean than for me to extend you credit. Because you know, I, I feel more comfortable giving you some product than extending you credit because you're just going to end up in a horrible situation. And, and I think that's the other thing at, at, a, at a corporate level um, that, that has to be is in, in part of the planning is, is, is what, lack of a better term, what is your gleaning policy? You know, what do you, you know, what do you have set up um, in community funds and things you're giving back and donations and all of that, that there should be, Again, if, if all of this is God's money, if this is all God's stuff, then then those principles of taking care of, of the poor and the needy are just as responsible if we are XYZ Corporation, that's me and Michael and 10 friends, or if it's, you know, me and Diane and our family. <laughs> I mean, it's the, both the same, um, but it's, it's going to be the differences and why we do things collectively is size and scale, right? You know, we can do more together than we can do individually. So that's why we partner up. But in that, that partnership, but also the scale of profitability, in my opinion, and, uh, and, and while we're at the accounting department, I'll, I'll throw that to Michael. In my opinion, doesn't that also mean that we have collective responsibility for, for gleaning? Collective responsibility for gleaning. And so I'm, I'm, as I'm hearing that, I guess what I'm hearing is you're talking about corporate charitable giving, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, essentially that's, that's what we're, that's what we're talking about. Um, you know, I, I think that's a, a very fair question. It's God's money, but I think, I think there's, it's also important to remember there's, there's always a lot of different ways to get there. If, if again, to your point, 
businesses or just individuals that have come together for purposes of scale. If, if I decide with my 10 friends that we're going to take some of God's money in our corporate bank account and give it to good causes, I think that's good to godly causes. Clearly, I think that's per, per, a very reasonable decision. If you and your company think, decide that with God's money, you're going to distribute this to the owners so the owners can make individual decisions about how to support charitable causes. I think that's also a very reasonable and godly decision. So there's different ways to get there, you know? So is, is, is one business more godly than another because they have more charitable giving that I can, I can lead you to any number of examples to prove that you can still be a filthy person with a lot of charitable <laughs> giving. And so I, I don't, again, it's not nearly that black and white, but again, if we are Christian individuals and we're making these decisions collectively, we should be thinking about that, but there's a lot of ways to get from here to there. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, in, in my mind, uh, back to our intent conversation that we've had a lot this morning is, you know, do you have a policy? And, and, and to me that that's what it should be. It is our policy, you know, as a corporation, we're going to do this or as a corporation, we're going to disperse those to individuals and we want you to do that. Um, but, but what's the policy? What's the intent? What's the, you know, and, and I think that has to be conversations, you know, that, that you have as, as business owners or as, you know, folks in, in leadership or management that, you know, just says, well, what is our, our corporate policy for this? What are we, how are we accomplishing this? Because, you know, again, in my mind, collectively, we've just got more responsibility than we've got individually. If we pulled all these resources together and, you know, we got a company that's, you know, generating, you know, X times what we could generate on our own. You know, we, we've got the same responsibilities, but how are we, how to go about them? I think to Michael's point is more nuanced. I don't think there's an absolute right way. Also, I don't think there's an absolute right way, you know, it, as, as an individual of how, how exactly you do that. You know, if your family decides that, you know, all of our, you know, charitable giving, uh, all of our giving back to God is going to be through, you know, we're going to give money to the local church and, um, you know, and, and that's where you think it's, it's best served. Okay. I, I mean, I, I'm hard pressed to argue with you about that. If you as a family say, you know, out of our budget, our, you know, 13, 15% that we've got earmarked, that's going to do, you know, good things for God. If, you know, 7% of that goes to church and 8% of that goes to individuals or individual organizations, that's okay too. Uh, you know, I, I don't think there's a, a, a prescription on that, but I think there has to be a plan and there has to be an intent um, is, is what I'm circling back to. The, the mechanisms are, are, you know, to me, that's, you know, individual flavor, but um, the intent's got to be intent. there. Yeah, and, and run a little short on time. So just kind of two quick things off, dovetail off of that or, or maybe think of. And, and one is, you know, I also think that that in God's providence, there, there are, we have a, a great example to influence in that, in that also, because there, there are certainly going to be um, individuals either that are co-owners of this business with us or, or employees of this business with us who, who aren't believers. I think that's just naturally we kind of assume and expect that. And so if they see that kind of charitable heart, this is God's money, um, that, that, that attitude, um, wanting to help, wanting to give, wanting to be generous with gratitude. I think that has an impact, um, in our influence, uh, 
you know, there's probably, probably a very short number of lessons that have ever been written on the influence of the accounting department on the hearts of individuals. But, but I think that, I think that that is a, I think that is a possibility. And, you know, I think, I think God's hand is in that. And, and then secondly, and I I think maybe in in my mind, this would be one to think about as we, to close with is this is a lot easier in my mind than a small business because I can go have a conversation with the owners if I'm in the accounting department of a small business and, and can decide to do the right thing, right? And, and have the right intent. This, in my mind, this is much more difficult if you are a staff accountant um, at, a, um, at a much larger corporation where, as you have noted, sometimes the procedures are inflexible and the, the intent is cloudy. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I certainly feel for, for Christians who are in that position if they are. Uh, and then how do you handle that? Um, and are you, are you comfortable, you know, can, are you comfortable sleeping at night just saying, well, that's, that's our company policy, even if you know it's not godly? Um, that, that's a really hard, it's a really, really hard position that I know, I know Christians that have been in. And I, and I don't, I'm not jealous of it. Um, uh, and that, that it's got to be, got to be handled delicately and with a lot of thought and prayer. Right. And, and, and some of these, you know, again, as, as we talk through these things, it's, it's easier in a small business, easier in a small company, sometimes harder when you're in corporate. And, and there's a lot of things you got to balance there, right? You, you got to have a job, you got to feed your family. Um, and, and that's important. And, and maybe you can't change the entire culture of a corporation. Um, but I think all of us, when we, we do a good job and we are, are working for God, we, we can have at least influence on our little corner of the corporation if it's not just the four or five cubicles that sit around us. Um, so we've got to understand where our influence is and, and, and use it to the best of our ability. Um, as Michael said, we are, we're out of time um, this morning. Hopefully, um, by the time you do this, our uh, little technical faux pas is uh, a couple of seconds delay. You won't even uh, notice. You won't even notice. Uh, I don't even know why I bring it up. Um, but we will, uh, our goal and our aim is to uh, next week um, try to tackle it. Are we going HR management? Is, is that our plan for next week? It seems like these are normally made like 12 hours before we record. <laughs> so I'm just going to say it's open-ended at this point. So uh, HR slash management with the option to change uh, up to and including when we turn the Zoom meeting on. <laughs> uh, but we'll be back at you uh, next week. Um, again, it, it, those of you that are out there, please, please, please send in questions, comments, um, you know, anything that, that you struggle with in the workplace, even if it's not in sales or accounting so far, um, or if it is, uh, you know, fire those at us. We're happy to try to address them and, and, and walk through here. Um, what we want to do is just give you some things to think about. If, if that's all you get out of our uh, conversation, just some things to mull over, some things to think about, or some encouragement, um, you know, and some decisions that you're making, then, then, then we've done our job here. Um, that's all we're, we're trying to do is to get you to think and to get you to be, uh, you know, maybe a little, encourage you to be a little bit more uh, godly each and every day. Um, that, that's, that's all I got. Mr. Ray, closing comments? Uh, just, just last thought, you know, what, what's, what should be our goal if we are in the accounting department somewhere? I love this. This is Second Kings 22 when Josiah was, was rebuilding um, the, some of the temple area that had been, that had been badly um, 
fallen into disrepair. And, and he collected some of that money and he handed it over to uh, some of the officials and the secretary and the workmen. And the comment was that no accounting was required of those men because he knew that they dealt honestly. I think that, you know, if, if our, if our um, work history and our integrity is such that there's not, there's not really a close accounting that's required of us because people know we deal honestly, uh, that's that's pretty good. You didn't think I had an accounting example verse, did you? you just kind of just... Right, but in in, in fairness, um, if that were true, you would be out of a job. So, <laughs> <laughs> somewhat concerned about that <laughs> quote for the accounting department. He said, if everybody does what they should. You shouldn't exist. <laughs> said the king didn't require one. It didn't mean that there that there needed to practically be an accounting. Just that the king wasn't going to require it. You jerk. Until next time, my friend. All right. See you, brother. See you.